Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. I recently saw a patient in the office who had a skin abscess. It was about five centimeters in diameter, mildly erythematous around the borders, uh, but not at all complicated. Um, numbed it up, drained it, and I inserted a wick. And as has been my practice, I did not start the patient on antibiotics. Um, recently, there's been some change in the commonly held belief that uh, incision and drainage were the only things needed for uncomplicated skin abscesses. Joining me today is Dr. Alan Ehrlich, clinical associate professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, executive editor of Dynamed, an evidence-based database. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thanks, Frank. So, Alan, tell me a bit about uh, this potentially practice-changing paper on using antibiotics for skin abscesses. Well, this was a paper published uh, in the New England Journal recently, uh, end of June, and it looked at three treatment options for people who were having a small abscess, which they defined as less than five centimeters. It was uncomplicated. We'll talk about what that means in a second. Uh, and they randomized patients to either clindamycin, trimethoprine, sulfamethoxazole, or placebo. And then they wanted to see if giving an antibiotic, and obviously they chose ones that had coverage for MRSA, whether giving that type of antibiotic would lead to better outcomes. And so their outcome was essentially treatment failure or recurrence of other types of infections uh, down the road. And they did, in fact, find that there was a reduction in treatment failure with uh, using the antibiotics. The number of patients who had successful treatment with placebo was about 69%. And if you used one of the two antibiotics, it was either 81 or 83% that range. So you're talking about a 12 or 13 percentage point difference in what we'll call a cure rate. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's true. Um, it, it, from this, this, this data does show that uh, there was some benefit, yet with incision and drainage and placebo use, almost well over two-thirds of the patients received uh, the clinical cure. Yeah, and that's, I think, the big dilemma that we have to uh, address as we're thinking about how do we interpret this data. Because most patients, in fact, will get better with just incision and drainage, and not everyone gets better if you put them on antibiotics. There's still some patients who will fail regardless. And what we have to think about is the risks uh, to the individual of going on antibiotics they might not need, and the risks from an antimicrobial stewardship perspective of, from a society point of view, are we uh, exacerbating issues of antibiotic resistance by uh, giving lots of people antibiotics that they actually don't need. So uh, let's talk a little bit. What were the harms with the antibiotic use? So some of the harms are typical drug reactions, things like diarrhea or rash. In this particular study, they uh, considered a treatment failure if someone just stopped taking the antibiotic altogether. So 
I wouldn't focus so much on this particular study as to what are the harms, but thinking about what do we know about the harms in general with the use of antibiotics. And it varies with the antibiotic. In the case of someone having an abscess, the most common antibiotics that are recommended are uh, the trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, clindamycin, or doxycycline, and they each have different uh, side effect profiles. Were any of the adverse effects in this study or in other studies worrisome enough to make you have pause? I don't think that they are any more common than for treating anything else. They, you know, it's not a problem unless it happens to your patient or if you're the patient and it happens to you. So if it's, you know, a 1% chance of having some type of neutropenia or uh, having you know, whatever your chances of developing uh, uh, C. diff, you either get it or you don't. And if you get it, it can be obviously very uh, troublesome and bothersome. So you, at some level, you have to think about it more on a population basis than think about any individual whose absolute risk from one course of treatment is going to be relatively low. So what I hear you saying is that adding an antibiotic to incision and drainage of uncomplicated abscesses is probably beneficial and carries a small risk of adverse effect. Before we, we make the decision about which clinical approach to take, can you tell us a little bit about the difference between a complicated and an uncomplicated abscess? Sure. So this affects who you might want to be treating with antibiotics in the first place for reasons unrelated to the incision and drainage. But patients who are considered to have a more complicated uh, abscess have some evidence of systemic uh, infection. And that can be a fever, uh, tachycardia, uh, even actually a low, um, low temperature also may be a sign of that, an elevated white count, say above 12,000, or conversely, patients who are immunosuppressed would certainly be at risk. So if you're white count is particularly low, that also might be an issue. So patients who show some type of abnormal vital sign, abnormal uh, uh, white count, these are the patients where I would be concerned enough to start an antibiotic. Now, I know in a lot of situations people say, well, what about somebody with diabetes? Okay, they obviously have some degree of impairment, and I think you have to judge that on a case-by-case basis. But in some of the uh, randomized trials that have been done, there really doesn't seem to be any difference between patients with diabetes and patients who don't have diabetes in terms of their response to receiving the antibiotics. Any thoughts about when you should obtain a cult culture of the uh, abscess? So I routinely culture uh, all the abscesses that I drain. Partly it's because we, we believe there's a lot of MRSA out there, and if someone doesn't get better, you want to know. The rates of MRSA range between 50 and 80% for most of these types of abscesses that are being drained, but there are other organisms. And if someone's not getting better after a couple days, uh, it's nice to know, it's nice to have some sensitivities to help guide therapy. I think this is especially true when you're not doing empiric therapy. And then it makes sense that you're only giving someone the type of antibiotics that are most likely to be helpful. There have been a lot of studies of antibiotics in treating patients after incision and drainage. And they've had some conflicting results over the years. Some of it has to do with using antibiotics that have not been effective against MRSA, and so then you don't see a benefit. They've looked at using Keflex or uh, things like that. Um, it sounds like, uh, although there is some emerging data, uh, this is still a clinical decision. 
Any final thoughts on uh, how you approach a patient who comes in with an uncomplicated abscess? I think that there's going to be uh, different styles by physicians. My thinking about this is that it's not only a question of do you get better if you uh, use an antibiotic, do you have a more likely, uh, are you more likely to be successful in terms of the treatment? But the question also is, do you benefit from treating early compared to treating late? Suppose you just wait and see who's not getting better and treat them at that point in time. You'll treat far fewer patients and you, you know, it's not clear that you're going to get any worse result. Maybe patients will be sick for a day or two longer, but it's not clear from the data that we have just what sick means. Does it mean that the abscess needs to be reopened a little bit more, or does it mean that they're missing work? We, we don't have that level of information. You know, I, I want to go back a minute to the question of the adverse effects. Some of that is, is drug dependent. In this particular study, interestingly enough, the best efficacy was with clindamycin. It was a little bit better than uh, the trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. Typically, we would think the clindamycin might be a little worse because there's uh, the potential for inducing resistance. But it was a little more effective, and at the same time, it also did have a higher rate of adverse events. Again, most of these are, I think, well-tolerated uh, in the sense of you stop the medicine, someone gets better. Most of these are not leading to significant long-term problems. Well, thank you, Alan. Um, this does advance our understanding about how to approach skin abscesses, and we'll probably start changing uh, all of our practices. I really appreciate your thoughts about um, the lack of clarity about immediate starting versus waiting 48 hours and see how things going. I think that as you, as you use the term stewardship, it does help for us to decrease the amount of antibiotics used. And if things are uncomplicated and 70% of the time are going to get better on their own, uh, judicious use makes good sense. I agree. And I, you just have to present the data to the patients. And uh, I think this is a good example of where shared decision-making can be very effective. Well, thanks again. Practice pointer, considering use of an oral antibiotic, be it clindamycin or trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, uh, in addition to incision and drainage of uncomplicated skin abscesses, uh, may be beneficial in uh, improving clinical outcomes, uh, recognizing that there may be an increased risk of adverse medication-related events. Use antibiotics judiciously. Join us next time where we discuss uh, the use of e-cigarettes as a form of nicotine replacement for those patients who wish to stop smoking. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the Resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, please browse the more than 300 free CME-accredited activities now available on primed.com. We want to keep making this podcast better with every episode, so we need your feedback. Tell us what you think by submitting your feedback via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or log into primed.com and submit your feedback at the bottom of the episode landing page. Thank you again for listening.